to me, the most important thing is getting clear on your cash flow and having that under control, then focusing on activities that are profitable to your business as well as bringing in cash flow, and then finally looking at things that are very revenue-focused. But I find a lot of businesses, especially in the online world, are obsessed with revenue at the expense of profit. Oh, no, that's absolutely correct. James Schramko here from superfastbusiness.com, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of Indonero.com and loves helping entrepreneurs run better businesses. She provides accounting, tax, and virtual CFO services to get far more strategy than the average CPA or accounting firm offers. She was featured on the cover of Inc. 5000's September issue, which is a publication that lists the fastest growing private companies in the US. And this company, Indonero.com, has had the most massive revenue growth, over 2,000% in three years. I'm delighted to welcome the founder and CEO of Indonero.com, Jessica Ma. So welcome, Jessica. Thanks. Great to be here. Great to have you. So Jessica, could you talk to us about financial reporting and why it's so critical to business profitability? And before you do, I just wanted to mention, I actually happen to be a CPA, an Australian-based certified practicing accountant. So I am very interested in this topic, but my audience is largely business owners. So I would love to try and keep the conversation as non-technical as possible. Yeah, of course. No, I mean, we try to keep it pretty simple because like accounting and tax it's really intimidating to a lot of businesses. Right. And for me too, like when I was first getting started, um, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I didn't know how to count the beans in my business and I wasn't managing my cash flow properly. I didn't think about any of these things. And I felt like the accounting world made it so much more complicated than it had to be. And that's the real issue here. So if they make it seem more complicated, then I, as the business owner, I'm not really paying attention to this. And it's really so important. So I'll give you some examples. For my first business, like we're offering services to help other business, business owners uh, put their website online. Very mm-hmm. simple concept. This was my middle school, high school business. Yeah. And um, you know, it cost us money to offer the service. And I wasn't paying attention to that. We would have cash flow gaps every time we signed on a customer. These basic things. I wish I had a company like Indonero that gave me software to visualize where my money was going and help me better understand what are the uh, things that drive my business from a money perspective. And, um, and so that's how I got passionate um, about, about accounting and about finance management. And, um, and I think it's just so great what we're doing because everyone needs this. This is something that every business owner uh, right. has to be thinking about but isn't, probably isn't doing enough of. Yes. There's three common misconceptions I've seen or three levels of misconceptions I've seen with businesses. One is businesses often focus on revenue and they don't necessarily focus on profit, which is the stuff that you keep after your expenses. (laughs) The second thing is some businesses focus on profit, but they don't pay enough attention to cash flow, which if you're not paying attention to your cash flow, then it doesn't matter how much profit you're making. If you're not solvent, you're going to not be an entity to be making profit in the next reporting period. To me, the most important thing is getting clear on your cash flow and having that under control, then focusing on activities that are profitable to your business 
as well as bringing in cash flow, and then finally looking at things that are very revenue focused. But I find a lot of businesses, especially in the online world, are obsessed with revenue at the expense of profit. Oh, no, that's absolutely correct. And um, it goes both ways. I met business owners who are fantastic at profit um, and even fantastic at cash, but they're they're so focused on those numbers that they're yeah. not willing to make the long-term investments needed to optimize their profit in the long term. Um, so there's definitely a balance to be had here. And um, and it's very rare that I meet someone who's got that perfect balance. Most people are on one end of the spectrum or the other. And that's where Indonero can give them clarity around how their cash flow is going, how their profitability is going, and how their revenue is going, and distinguish between those. Yeah, I mean, the point is like, I think it's kind of like meditation, right? It's all about self-awareness, just being able to step back from your day-to-day, the busy stuff that goes on in your business, you know, the doorbell's ringing and the phone's off the hook. Yeah. Just like step back a bit and just look at the business in a very, you know, peaceful setting and say, all right, here's what's going on. And just by seeing how good or bad things are with your revenue or profit or cash, then you're already thinking about ways to improve that. Like, oh, wow, if only I just asked my customers to, pay me up front before I start delivering the service, that would help my cash position. Like very basic things like that. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs are really smart. Um, they're usually like really creative and quick to think of these solutions. They just have to know what the problems are. Um, and and so that's really, I think, where In an Arrow helps. And that's really what I'm really uh, interested in doing personally. Okay. On a slightly different topic, Jessica, I've studied your writing style and I really like the way you write your content. And I'm just interested to understand how you come up with content that really moves your reader to take action. How did you develop these skills? And can you talk to us about your mindset when you're creating content around Indonero? Yeah, sure. So when we say content, um, there's the blog posts I've yeah. written. Um, there's also... Um, what I'm having my team at Indonera write for the white papers and also like what I talk about when I'm like uh, giving speeches, right? Uh-huh. And I think all of it really ties back to like real stories and things that have really affected me personally as an entrepreneur. Um, I think it's really easy for like a highly technical person to write about things in a theoretical textbook manner, but like I made so many mistakes as a business owner. Like I've had these pitfalls, I've had, you know, I raised investor money, I've lost investor money, I brought on customers that were unprofitable. Like I've done all these mistakes before and just like outlining that has been really helpful. And I get so many stories. uh, I get so many uh, readers saying, Hey, like I really resonated with your story about having a a hot tub at your office and how that really set the wrong example for your employees. I think people really could relate to these stories more. So I try to throw them into my writing as much as I can. Okay. Real things that happened. So people can relate to those stories. What I'm hearing is storytelling is an important part of your content creation process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes it more fun too, I think. Right. Like right. it's easy for me to just think about everything in terms of stories and mistakes too. I think I think um I love sharing mistakes and things that I've done wrong because it's so much more relatable. Like people don't want to hear about success, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure that you have a really great audience of people, but they're like, man, this Jessica person, like, yeah. like I wonder how she's like screwing things up and failing yeah, at things. Yeah. And, and uh, so I, I really try to share as much of this as possible. And like with my blog, when I first started it, I had no one reading it. I had no mm. readers because I was just talking about things too, in a too, like it was just too theoretical. Right. And I started talking more about, you know, the problems of my businesses. And, and at one point I had, I had like over a hundred thousand 
a unique a month. Like that was fantastic. And mm. I think it really came from that. And, um, and so, I'm, and I really like that. And same with all the people I hire at Indonero, like I've hired some people who are really like, uh, arrogant full of themselves on the interview. And you think, wow, this person knows what they're talking about. They're so smart. They're like, Oh, look at how I built this team or look how I like took care of this. I did all that my, by myself. That's a lot of ego. And then you bring them in and they're not going to work out. I've really struggled with that. I've made some of those bad hires. And now like the best people I find, they're humble. And in the interview, they talk about mistakes they made. And I love mm-hmm. that. So I try to do that myself as much as I can. Okay. So people relate to the human element, the fact that we're all fallible and people seem to connect more with you if you talk about things more holistically, not just talk about your successes, but talk about your failures and how you overcame them. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That actually segues really nicely into the next question, which is, what are the biggest challenges you've seen with businesses when it comes to getting their finances and their strategy in order? And what's worked best in terms of overcoming them? I think the biggest mistake I've found with business owners and their money is that they don't think about it until it's too late. Right. So they wait till tax season. They wait until they're having a cash flow crunch. They wait till they need to find an investor or they wait until they need to get a loan from their bank. Yep. By then, it's too mm. late. By then, they they haven't had the time to really track everything. It, so now it's, it's a pain in the butt to get everything yep. together. And two, if there are problems in their cash flow or if there are problems in their, they're not profitable enough or they're not growing fast enough, it's too late to fix those things. So I'd say that's the number one thing that people... Uh, People don't do right. Okay. And what's a good way to overcome this? It, obviously, one simple way that I can think of right off the top of my head is just write down your goals for the year, your financial goals, and at least put get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper or something that you can revisit on a regular basis, even if you don't end up buying software like Indonero or any of the other accounting software that's out there, at least get onto some kind of an objective framework like a computer, a spreadsheet somewhere so you can monitor that. What other things can people do to not get to this point where they are at that cash crunch? They're about to make the sale and then they're trying to figure out everything and they're in overwhelm at that stage. Yeah, I mean, this comes to a bigger, broader point um, that you kind of hinted at, which is just, which is better planning. So at Indonero, we're actually modeling out how much money we're going to bring in and how much money we're going to spend on hiring people 24 and even 36 months wow. out. And that's what I'd say is the number two mistake that most entrepreneurs and business owners make. They don't spend enough time on their forecasting. Mm-hmm. They don't spend enough time mapping out exactly what their cash position, their revenue, their spending, their profit, all that will look like on a month-by-month basis for the next 36 months. Um, very few people I know take this seriously. And I'd say only half of the entrepreneurs I know who are running multi-million dollar businesses actually do this in any capacity. Um, So that really helps me with my planning. That helps me map out exactly what I'm going to do. That is my my plan Mm -hmm. for the year in a way, Um, even though it's on a spreadsheet. So that's something I highly recommend uh, everyone uh, at least take more seriously. Something that I've seen a lot back when I was working in the corporate world, a lot of challenges people faced with planning was that the world is changing all the time. And so if you plan 36 months out, how are you going to really 
follow through, the plan's almost inevitably going to change. But my response to that was, and still is, that the act of planning, the act of creating some kind of a plan actually leads to other insights. And that discipline of planning and creating some kind of a direction is still worthwhile, even if that direction is going to change, even if there's going to be disruptive changes in your environment, in your technology, you know, even if product A, which is selling extremely well today, and you project it's going to, it's going to be the most profitable for your business in the next 36 months, but then product B suddenly comes out of left field and suddenly becomes the most profitable. Yes, that's going to change your plan. That's going to change your forecasting. But you know what, if you have the structure in an Excel spreadsheet, it's literally a matter of changing the numbers and the forecast monthly profitability on that particular product and you have your new plan in front of you. Now, this is assuming people can use Excel. And I guess if you're not a strong user of Excel, then maybe something like Indonero is a great. Yeah, well, you really bring up a fantastic point there. The plan is going to change. The act of planning helps you figure out um, how to run your business better. And also, when I've done Indonero, um, I've had a baseline goal for revenue and then I have a stretch goal mm. and at least I know my range for my revenue and my expenses. So I could plan for a rainy day scenario or an ideal case scenario. Um, so I'm prepared essentially, no matter what happens, I'm fully prepared. And that's just something that, um, that I wish everyone had because it's, it's really no fun when like, I have an entrepreneur friend coming over for dinner. It's like, yeah, just like, man, I just don't know what we're going to do next quarter. Like, just don't have our numbers dialed down tight. And that uncertainty really kills people. It really drives people insane. Uncertainty can be quite draining. Coming back to my earlier point, there's two elements of a plan. There's the actual plan that you end up you end up creating as a product, the plan being an, an entity of itself. But then there's the act of planning, which I was trying to say before, is a very valuable exercise in and of itself, which eventually results in the plan. So the act of planning actually goes quite a long way towards eliminating uncertainty because it's like a dress rehearsal for the next 26, 36 months or 24 months in, you know, in a short space of time. And it gives you insights that you wouldn't otherwise get. It takes you to certain mental spaces as you're creating those plans that you wouldn't otherwise get. Exactly. I'll give you a real example there. So last night, I was refining my sales rep profitability spreadsheet, and it maps out exactly how much money I'm spending on a sales rep and how much money I'm bringing in from that rep, how profitable I'm going to be when they break even. And one of my people here was saying, well, The thing is, we want to be able to pay people really well. We want them to think, wow, Nanero compensates us really well. And I'm not sure if we could afford it, frankly. And I'm looking at the spreadsheet and I'm like, actually, we can. After month 13, you know, they're really profitable and then you don't want to lose them. So, like, just having that in front of you makes it more productive, uh, makes the conversations more productive. If you're an Excel geek like me, you can just create these models, which you can always tweak, and that (laughs) will give you projected figures. As you say, in month 13, you can go and intervene and change it to a different number and see how that plays out. But if you can't afford to do this with Excel, then get yourself a good piece of software that can save you a lot of heartache, a lot of uncertainty, and more importantly, can help you take action today that you need to be taking today, but you don't realize you need to be taking today because you haven't created a plan. When you create a plan, you get to know what you don't know. So actually, that's a good way to put it. Until you make a plan, you don't know what you don't know. But when you (laughs) have a plan, you know what you don't know. And then you know what actions you need to take today rather than wait till the day before your taxes due. Exactly. And then, yeah, it's so great. Like I feel like I can sleep easier at night knowing what's going on. And that's 
really priceless for an entrepreneur, right? Like what's the biggest challenge of running a business? I don't think it's actually the work of running the business. Like it's, it's not intellectually hard to do a business. It's emotionally really hard. So if you could at least reduce your emotional stress, then you're going to be that much more successful. So I really try to think through what else can I do to make myself really enjoy my day-to-day more and to not be as surprised when bad things happen. And um, and with the money, that's usually where most of the stress creeps in from what I've seen, at least for myself. I get more stressed out about money issues. Totally. And if you're a good planner, you can always plan for contingencies. So when things come out of left field, you have some funds set aside for that. Yeah, exactly. So not, I mean, it's been really cool learning about this over the past few years that I've been running in Dinero and and uh, just doing business. Like there's just more and more I discover here. And also it's cool to share these plans and numbers with other like uh, finance geeks yeah. because then they find issues in your model and you find issues in their yeah. model. And, you know, that that's just like really really powerful and i think it's just really yeah. fun <laughs> yeah. Yeah. let's talk about actions the one action that's coming through loud and clear is plan 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 <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast get some plan happening on whatever form as primitive as it is start planning and the more advanced and sophisticated you're planning the better off you are any other actions you think a listener can take out of this conversation jessica that will really position them well for their financial planning their strategy and to succeed as a business overall Say like with accounting and bookkeeping, if that's something that anyone's like procrastinating or not taking seriously, that could really uh, bite you down the line if you plan on taking out a bank loan or raising money or uh, or really trying to expand the business. So that's something that you really want to get done at least six, if not twelve months before you're doing any of that. Um, so that's a definite action item. Um, and then it's like like really hard to do all this in isolation. So I value having multiple eyes and ears to look at all of my planning, all my budgets, all my like accounting, just to help me figure out like what do I not know that uh, that's going on, and um, and like really surround myself with other experts too. So, okay, what about for a solo entrepreneur, Jessica? If we've got an entrepreneur who's sort of bootstrapping and just starting off with their business. What's a good way for them to get onto the planning cycle? Um, I think it's just like start small is really it. Like at least start somewhere. So like I have some entrepreneur friends who just start like putting it together on like a Google Doc or on like a simple Excel spreadsheet. It's not super complicated, but at least they start somewhere and they get into that habit mm-hmm. and just like put it on the calendar to like run through this every single quarter. Um, so it doesn't have to be expensive. Like you could do it um, like really cheaply and do it yourself. And um, And also I think what I would – if I were a sole proprietor um, or if, like my best friend's a sole proprietor, I would tell her, hey, like you're not too small to do this. You're not too small to worry about this. This is something that will really help you um, sleep better at night. And I think that's a, a trap that a lot of sole proprietors fall into. They're like, oh, I'm too small to worry about that. Like I'm not a real corporation yet or anything, but, uh, but that's really not the right thinking there. So that's what I would tell, tell that person. Okay. Another thing I would actually add to that is if you do have a plan and if you have clarity around what you are costing the business and the simple way to do this is work out your business's profit. And if you're the only operator in the business, work out the business's annual profit and divide that by the number of hours you're putting in. That's your hourly rate. If you are worth, let's say, $40 an hour to your business, then 
hire people to do stuff that is worth less than $40 an hour unless you absolutely have to do it yourself. I see a lot of people trying to save $10 an hour by spending their own time when actually their time is worth a lot more to the business. And again, having stuff objectively in an Excel spreadsheet will help you to get clear on these things, what sort of hourly rate you're worth to the business, for example. I'd say that I also find a lot of people underestimate their hourly worth. So they do the math, they're like, oh, I think I'm $40 an hour. But really, it's so much higher than that. The opportunity cost of not thinking about expansion, it's worth easily 3x that calculated number you came up with. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great point. So maybe, you know, when you come up with your hourly rate, think about all the opportunities you could be missing. Jessica, let's talk about some of the books that have had the biggest impact on you and why. I'd say... The number one book that I really love thinking about for CEOs is The Outsiders. Have you heard of The Outsiders yet? No, no, but I'm ah, going to write it down. It's, it's fantastic. I, I had it recommended to me by two different investors. Yep. And The Outsiders, the TLDR, uh, the short summary, is that the CEO's most important job is capital allocation. Yeah, there's hiring, there's coaching, there's managing, there's product development. But you could also hire some fantastic people to do all those things. But at the end of the day, it's the CEO's job to do the capital allocation, mm-hmm. in essence, to manage the money. Um, that's even something that you're not going to delegate off the CFO um, if you had enough money to afford a really good CFO. Um, mm-hmm. So I really loved that book. I've reread it now several times. That's an, actually an extension of what we were talking about a minute ago, right? When we were saying work out your hourly rate and if you are costing the company a certain amount of money, don't try and do the really the cheaper jobs yourself. That's not exactly capital allocation, but it is a, I suppose it is a form of capital allocation. You're being responsible about how you're spending the company's resources. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, great book. I, I have like a list of 50 books we could run through. Um, yeah. <laughs> like... I mean, I try to read like 100 books a year, and it's just pretty incredible what I learn. And I also like to reread books that I read in the past. Like, I reread Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Work Week, and I remember when I first read it, I'm like, this is not going to apply to me because, um, you know, that's not the type of mindset I want to subscribe to. But I reread it now, even though I'm working like 80 hours a week, and it's more relevant now than ever before. Now, I don't check my email ever. I literally haven't checked my email in... Uh, in like a month now, I have my my full time wow. admin check my email for me, and I'm so much more productive. I was inspired to do that because I reread the four hour work week. Right. How do you read so much, Jessica? How, do you allocate time in the day? Um, so I like to read a lot on like vacations. I'm traveling a lot on the airplane, so I read a lot on the airplane. I have think weeks, so I actually block off full weeks during the year to just wow. read books. Um, so I'll still take meetings. Like in the mornings, um, like phone call meetings, but then I'm reading the rest of the day and then I'm writing notes down and trying to figure out how I'm going to apply those learnings to my business. I read that Bill Gates uh, took two think weeks per year and he did this yeah. since Microsoft was tiny. And I thought, well, if right. he could do it, so can I. And I love totally. to read. I love to just simmer on my business. And I get so much from reading these books. Like it's just so transformational every time I like go through these books and it really affects my leadership um, to a really great extent. Like you are a product of the books you read and the people you meet. And when you read the books from these people who've walked the path before, you're effectively spending time with them or their thoughts. 
through the books. Exactly. This is great. I like the idea of the two think weeks. You must have initially felt some anxiety when you started to take your time away from your business to just do the reading, to move away from email. How did you deal with that initial part? Yeah, uh, it was really slow at first, actually. So I uh, started by only checking email every other day. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I would pack Tuesday and Thursday filled with meetings so I wouldn't have time to really check my email. And then I would have an, um, an assistant go through my email and just make sure there's nothing urgent here on fire. And I noticed, wait a sec, three, I only check email three days a week and there are no problems. So what if I upped it to four days a week? And then what if I just made it forever? What if I never checked my email? What if my assistant just checks my email full time? And then if anyone needs anything, then we'll, when I'm walking to a meeting or I'm in the car or I'm coming back from the airport because I'm traveling all the time, I'll just call her and say, hey, what do you need? And she's like, all right, these three people want to meet. Yeah, yeah, your name. I'm like, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, name. She's like, okay, cool. This person needs you to sign this document. I'm like, okay, like print it out and have me sign it when I walk into the office tomorrow. Like, So we just talk through yeah. all these issues on the phone. You don't need to, I don't need to read an email and figure out how to respond. Um, right, it, right. It, but it was a slow process. I started that in June. June of 2015. So I've only been doing this wow. for about, you know, five months now, five, six months. And something that I've, I look forward to not having to do is getting away from context switching, which I think saps productivity in a massive way. It's very disruptive. You're working on something and then your email pings and you go and check your email and you switch context. You, you switch from what you're doing to checking the email and then you've got to switch back. You lose a lot of momentum and a lot of traction. So if you can completely opt out of the whole email process, then you're going to increase your productivity. Oh, lot. yeah, it's huge. And then like having blocked meeting days and then you have, and then having just like blocked off time on the calendar to work on projects, personal pet projects, let's say, and then turning off Wi-Fi so there's no temptation to do any of that. Mm. So there are just like so many cool hacks out there, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to learn them all. I should probably go through every one of your pa- past podcasts to learn all the hacks, and then I'll just apply them all. <laughs> yeah, you should. I'll, I'll send you some uh, links that, that are relevant. You might find some of them interesting. I do talk about productivity a fair bit. I'll, I'll send you some links. Thanks. Cool. So Jessica, how do listeners find out more about you and how do they get in contact with you if they would like yeah, to? Yeah. Um, so I have, I have my website, jessicama.com and my company, indonero.com. I'm mm-hmm. on Twitter at Jessica Ma and you could, anyone can email me, CEO at indonero.com. Even though I don't get email, you can email me and like, you know, I take phone calls and you know, person, that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, the Inc. magazine cover and profile that came out in September was, I thought it was phenomenal. I've never been on a magazine cover before. Congratulations on that, by the way. That's an awesome achievement. Thanks. Yeah. I was honestly completely surprised when I first saw it. Um, but I hear it's like a really cool profile and article because it really talks about all the problems and issues I faced in my business. And it really lays out everything, my co-founder conflict and running out of my investors money. Like it really goes into the meat of all of that. And I wish that every entrepreneur shared that story inside because not everyone's an overnight success. That's just a bunch of baloney. Well, I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes in this podcast episode. I think I found it earlier on. I quickly glanced at it. So I think I know the article you're talking about. Or maybe you can send me a link to the article and I can post it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll do that. But yeah, this has been super fun. And and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited that you're doing this podcast because like, um, there's just so much like important 
great stuff to learn here that's going to save people so much time and headache down the road. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm very interested in financial reporting. I'm interested in small business and maybe I can have you back on the show sometime and we can talk about some other aspects because it's clearly something we both enjoy talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, happy to. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Is there anything else you would like to add before we say goodbye? Um, not actually, just like, you know, reach out. Let me know if there's anything that, um, that you know, if you're a listener, if there's anything else that you'd want my input on, always happy to talk. And, um, and yeah, like read lots of books. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the biggest action item, I would say, if there was one thing the listener had to take away from this discussion is plan. Yeah. Start making a plan and get it out of your head and onto either a piece of paper or preferably a spreadsheet and plan your strategy so you don't end up having your plans created for you by circumstance. Be proactive about things. So that's the biggest takeaway. It sounds very obvious, but it's very important. So thanks for being on the show, Jessica, and I'm looking forward to having you back soon. Awesome. Cool. It's been fun. So that was Jessica Ma, the founder of Indonero.com, who was featured on Inc. magazine in the September 2015 issue. So wonderful to have her on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you might enjoy a few other episodes that I've done. You might want to check out episode two with James Shramko on how to use recurring income to maximize profitability. Episode 11 with Dan Norris on startups. He's the author of The Seven Day Startup, $50 million and counting with Ed O'Keefe. That's episode number 22. Episode number 18, How to Build an Eight Figure Business with Buck Rizvi. Episode number 48 with John Logar on how to use high value consulting to increase your profitability. Episode number 50 with James Shramko on frameworks for business profitability and lifestyle. And episode 55 with Ezra Firestone on how to use e-commerce to take your business from six to seven figures. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?